sometimes controversial, always politically incorrect, and pro-life without exception, without compromise, and without apology. It's the Pro-Life America podcast with your hosts, Sarah Waits and the president of Life Dynamics, Mark Crutcher. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It is spring here in Texas, and Woo-hoo. we're having pretty weather, except we may have tornadoes tonight, typical Texas spring. Pretty weather, with a side of tornadoes. Anyway, I'm Mark Crutcher, as you heard, and I'm joined by the usual suspect, Sarah Waits. Hello, everyone. We got a, I think, a pretty interesting show here. We've kind of touched on this subject before, but it's one we have to keep going over. It was a big thing when I first got in the pro-life movement 40 years ago, and it still is. Well, and with the confirmation hearings of Jackson that have just happened recently, it kind of brings the topic back to the forefront. Yeah, I mean, here's something I'm wondering. When this woman says Mm -hmm. that she can't define what a woman is, and she's a woman. She is one. (laughs) She is one, but she doesn't know what one looks like. I don't know what one is. That's a little Um, complicated. I wish Marsha Blackburn, who asked her that question, had come back and said, well, since you can't tell if you're a woman or not, uh-huh. and Biden had said that he wanted a woman. I guess that you're not the running anymore. <laughs> I guess, are you going to remove yourself or? Well, she would say that she is a female and she knows that she's a female. Uh, how does she know that? See, this is one of those little right. dance around the answer questions. Well, and the other thing is, if you can't define a woman, mm-hmm. shouldn't you recuse yourself from any cases that come to the Supreme Court that deal with women? Mm-hmm. Since you don't even know what one is? Well, and they asked her, too, in this confirmation hearing, when does life begin? Which is important, because if you're discussing any case of personhood or anything like that, you obviously need to know when a person is created. And she's like, I don't know. Well, if you're weighing in a legal precedent, don't you need to know these things? This woman's volunteering to be stupid because she knows she knows the answers to these questions. She just doesn't want to answer it. She just doesn't want to answer it. Yeah. And she's obviously going to be on the Supreme Court because all the Democrats are going to vote for her and they've got the numbers. Yeah. Well, they're certainly not going to cede a liberal seat on the Supreme Court to a conservative. No. And that's another issue. Um, Back when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, Mm -hmm. Their position was that to keep the balance on the court, mm-hmm. Trump should have appointed somebody else of her political persuasion. In other mm-hmm. words, hardcore leftist, godless, degenerate. Yeah, and that, they were pretty mad at her for not recusing herself from the Supreme Court so that they could appoint a liberal right. at a time when they could get that through. Right. Now are they telling Biden, well, look, since this person that you're putting on there mm-hmm. is replacing somebody with a particular political bent, mm-hmm. do you need to find somebody with that same bent? No. Considering it was a liberal who's getting off the Supreme Court, that, yeah. at that point would have been moved but, anyways. But, but what but. I'm saying is, let's say, God forbid, mm-hmm. this guy gets to appoint somebody else. And let's say a, a conservative is thrown off. I and mean, they're going after Clarence Thomas, hammer yeah. and tong right now mm-hmm. for nothing that he did. What if he were to say, to hell with you, I'm getting off. I'm mm-hmm. quitting. I'm hoping he won't do that, obviously. But then should Biden be required to appoint another hardcore conservative pro-lifer? <laughs> yeah, right. It's happening. I could just imagine their face. <laughs> it's happening. They would go Nuts. bananas. They would go berserk. <laughs> But anyway, the fact is we've got some cases in front of the Supreme Court right now. There'll probably mm-hmm. be some more dealing with the abortion issue. And we're all kind of mm-hmm. just biding our time and holding our breath, waiting to see what's going to happen with these Texas cases and with the case in Mississippi. You know, the thing that kind of disappoints me, though, is I hear so many pro-lifers just shouting online, overturn Roe, as if the overturning of Roe is going to solve our problems. 
it really yeah. depends on how Roe is overturned. Right. And I have a feeling that the way it would be overturned is not going to be the outcome that pro-lifers are hoping for. Well, if they overturn Roe on the basis that it's a state's rights matter or mm -hmm. that the Constitution is silent on abortion, that sends it back to the states. Mm -hmm. And that can be good or bad. It'll be good in some states, it'll be bad in others. Well, you're gonna have states like California and New York who yeah. have already codified Roe into their yeah. state who are gonna become abortion havens. Yeah, they're gonna set up a cottage industry. They've already basically said that. We're gonna have mm -hmm. a cottage industry in abortion. Now, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe, if they go beyond the scope of these cases, for example, and which they can do, they've done it before, mm -hmm. and they say Roe was poorly decided because the unborn child is a person for purposes of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a whole different deal. Yeah. Now, a state would not be allowed to make abortion legal, like California. It'd be illegal in California, New York, and every other one of these states. But considering the newest appointee doesn't even know what constitutes as a living human being, I mean, I don't... Yeah, she, I don't know if she'll be voting on this one or not. But anyway, the fact is that the most likely scenario, if they overturn it, that they'll do so on a state's rights basis, and they'll say, we're going to send it back to the states. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably what's going to happen, which then means we've got 50 battles to fight. Well, and all of these state laws that have been passed before now right. become even more crucial. What people need to understand is if Roe's overturned, and I think it will be, and I think it'll be overturned on the state's rights basis, what we need to remember is that simply gives us opportunities. It doesn't guarantee us anything. Mm -hmm. It gives us opportunities to go into the legislative arena and try to protect the unborn child. The question is to me, how will the pro-life movement respond to that? Mm -hmm. We have seen in the past, and this has happened many, many times, where pro-life initiatives were defeated because of infighting between pro-life groups over the issue of incrementalism versus purist. Let's assume uh, that somebody is listening to this episode and they don't know what incrementalist versus purist means. Well, in the legislative arena, the purist position is 100% pro-life. You don't support any legislation mm -hmm. that doesn't protect every baby from the moment of fertilization on. Mm -hmm. You don't support any legislation that doesn't protect every one of those babies. And that's the pure pro-life position. The incremental legislation says if you're in an environment, a legislative environment, where you don't have the ability to pass such a total ban mm -hmm. like that, you take what you can get and then come back later and try to get more. Which means you pass a bill that's got at least one or possibly more exceptions built into it. It means it has exceptions or it just doesn't mention a particular group of unborn mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. So you might pass a law that says, this prohibits abortion except in the cases of rape, incest, threat to the mother's life, mm -hmm. I look bad in a bathing suit when I'm pregnant, that, you know, <laughs> whatever. Or uh, you have a bill that says abortions are banned after X week of development, so say six weeks and on. Right. So that leaves the babies less than six weeks still vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the battle between these two factions, I have personally been involved in some of these, has destroyed a lot of good pro-life legislation. Mm -hmm. And I think that the issue to me has always been understanding the distinction between advocating a position and supporting a position. Yeah. Let me make something perfectly clear. If you advocate, advocate. that it should be legal to kill one baby, a George Bush type mm -hmm. who comes out and says, well, I'm pro-life and I would prevent abortion except rape and incest and threat to the mother's life. That was his position. Mm -hmm. 
that is not a pro-life position because what you're saying is mm -hmm. that I believe that the unborn child is a living human being, but mm -hmm. I think it's okay to kill certain groups of them. If that's your position, then you can't say that you're pro-life. You can't claim to be pro-life and, and take that position. Because um, there are pro-choicers out there who will right. take that position. So if you advocate that position mm -hmm. and you call yourself pro-life, you're a fraud. Mm -hmm. But then you have the issue of support. So for example, if you do have that situation where in a state legislature, after Roe is overturned, now it's in the states. Or even if Roe is not overturned. If the argument is, we can count the votes, mm -hmm. and we've got the votes to pass a bill that has certain exceptions, mm -hmm. do you support that bill? If that is 100% of what you can get, there is a big distinction between supporting that piece of legislation and advocating that piece of legislation. Yeah. There is a vast difference between that. As Absolutely. long as... As long as when you take that support position, you also say the minute that we pass this piece of legislation mm -hmm. and it goes into effect, mm -hmm. we're going to be back at the legislature the next day to take the next step. Yeah. As long as the bill, even with the exceptions built in, actually saves lives. Right. We're not looking for a toothless bill. Yeah. And the analogy that I've drawn to this very often is these organizations like MAD that fight against drunk driving. Mm -hmm. There's not a state in the union right now where it would be possible to outlaw someone having even one drink. Mm -hmm. If they have one drink, they're guilty of DWI. You couldn't do that. So originally what they did was they said that if your blood alcohol level was 0.10 mm -hmm. or greater than you were drunk driving. Mm -hmm. Over the years, these organizations like MAD have fought and got it down to 0.08. Mm -hmm. Well, when MAD comes in and argues for 0.08, they're not saying they think it's okay for people to drive with 0.08. Oh, absolutely not. They're not advocating that. They're saying that's the best we can do right now. Yeah, they've been pushing for 0.05 for a while. Now, we always remember the movie Schindler's List that mm -hmm. came out some years ago. Oscar Schindler was a Catholic businessman mm -hmm. in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust who had a lot of Jewish people that he knew that were his friends and a lot of them worked for him in, mm -hmm. his, in his company. And he started a list and he had a way that he could help get some of them out of Germany, save their lives. Mm -hmm. And he started a list. And on this list, he wrote the names of people that he thought he could save. Yeah. And how he would go about saving them. I think at the end of the war, they figured out that he had saved the numbers that pop up to me are 1,100 or 1,600. It was a big number. It was a big number of people that he had personally saved. Mm -hmm. So somebody's name would be on that list based on whether he thought that he could save them or not. Mm -hmm. Now, when he thought of somebody, when he had an employee who, for whatever reason, he says, I can't save this person. So he didn't put him on the list. Mm -hmm. When Oscar Chandler did not put somebody on his list, that did not mean he was saying, oh, it's okay to kill him. Yeah, exactly. What he was saying is, I can't save them. Mm -hmm. But I can save these over here, so I'll work to save the ones that I can until we can save all of them. And nobody has come along and criticized Oscar Schindler for doing that. Yeah. And the pro-life movement understands this concept and works on this concept even when they don't think they do. Mm -hmm. For example, sidewalk counselors or CPC oh, volunteers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're out there saving babies one at a time. One at a time. And if you're a sidewalk counselor and you're going to go out in front of the death camp today and try to save babies, 
You're not going to save every baby that it's, comes your it's way. It's not a matter that you're not going to save them all. Mm -hmm. It's a matter that when you go out there, you know you're not going to save them all. Mm -hmm. But you don't say, well, since I can't save them all, I'm not going to even save any. Yeah. You go out there and you save the ones you can and you rejoice over them. Just like Oscar Schindler, you have to go on about your business and do the best that you can do. Well, and, and there's no such thing as a perfect bill. So you can't say that you're going to wait until you, a perfect bill comes along because that does not exist. What you have is the reality of what you can pass and how many people it will save. And I understand where some of these people are coming from where they say, I want a bill that protects every baby. I want that too. But I understand the realistic political arena that we're in. You do the best that you can. You do what you can do given the circumstances. Yeah. And what you do is you do 100% of what you can do. Absolutely. In 1992, when I started Life Dynamics, the abortion rate was over 1.7 million a year. Wow. There were over 2,600 freestanding abortion clinics in the country. Now, for someone who doesn't know, what does a freestanding abortion clinic it's mean? It's an independent abortion clinic, not attached to a hospital or another clinic. There were over 2,600 of them. Mm -hmm. They were doing 1.7 million abortions a day. That's 5,000 a day in the United States. Yeah. The overwhelming majority of people in this country, if you ask them, said that they were pro-choice on the issue of abortion. That was the environment that we were in in 1992. Plus, we just had a new president that was the most godless degenerate you, we ever had up to that point. I think he's been superseded now in Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Both of them, I think, were worse than Bill Clinton. I think we can all look back now and say, dang, Bill Clinton looks pretty good compared to <laughs> these tame. two. tame. Yeah. But anyway, um, that was the environment we were in. Mm -hmm. Now, today, the abortion rate is somewhat less than a million a year. There are only about 550 freestanding abortion clinics left in business. And they're struggling. Planned they're Parenthood struggling. has been merging yeah. several and of their clinics into Uber clinics. They're hanging on by them. a thread. Mm -hmm. So we have made enormous progress. And some of that is the result of legislation that was passed that would be called incremental legislation. Mm -hmm. We have never passed a pure bill anywhere since then. Mm -hmm. So we've reduced the abortion rate from about 5,000 a day to about 2,000 a day. Well, and there's another side effect of all these pro-life bills, and that is every time we pass another restriction or legislation on abortion, it forces the abortion issue out into the public discussion. Right. And it causes people to realize that Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton basically legalized abortion up until the moment of birth. And a lot of people in this country do not know that. You'll even have polls on the pro-choice side saying that they don't support all abortions for any reason whatsoever. Or even government funding. Yeah. A lot of people who label themselves pro-choice say, but I don't think you ought to take money out of pro-lifers' pockets and pay for abortions for so other people. Every time that the pro-choice community makes a stink about these bills, I think, in all honesty, they may be shooting themselves in the foot because there's a pro-choicer who's like, well, wait a minute. Well, I'll come I back to that. I, I don't back support that an minute. abortion yeah. five minutes before birth. I'll come back to that in a minute because that's a good point that you're making. But again, we've reduced the abortion rate from 5,000 to 2,000, mm -hmm. or less than 2,000 actually a day, thereabouts. So that's 3,000 babies per day that we're not killing that we were killing then. Exactly. And some of that is due to incremental legislation. And if your argument is, it's either all babies are all nothing. or nothing or all or something. 
The all or nothing is the ones that say, we won't take anything less than a pure bill. And the all or something are saying, we're going to take 100% of what we can get, but we are taking what we can get. So you're saying that those 3000 that we saved didn't matter? That's what the people who take the all or nothing approach are saying. And if you're pro-life, you should have a problem with making that point. Right. Every one of those 3000 babies is unbelievably valuable. Mm -hmm. And that's not 3000 total. That's 3000 a day. Even if you were saving one, even if that right. pro-life legislation saved one, are you really going to say that it's not worth it? Now, you brought up the issue of these battles, even if they're for incremental legislation, mm -hmm. they move the needle in public opinion mm -hmm. because they bring issues out and force the issue out in front of the American people, which is not what the pro boards want to do. They want this thing to be behind closed doors. They want it to be nice and hidden. We force it out into the public. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the partial birth abortion. Well, that's deal. what I was going to say. That is the classic example of what I'm talking about. When the partial birth abortion bill came out, the pro-life movement jumped all over this. Mm -hmm. And they should have. But it was an incremental bill. Yeah. And matter of fact, it was the ultimate in incremental bills because it didn't save one baby. This prohibited a, a procedure. Mm -hmm. It didn't prohibit abortion. abortion. Mm -hmm. It just prohibited one abortion procedure. So you can outlaw partial birth abortion and you won't save one baby. Yeah. Because if you take a guy like George Tiller back in those days or, or any of the ones that are still around doing late-term abortions and you mm -hmm. say you can't do a, a DNX or partial birth abortion, they'll say, okay, fine, I'll do it with a DNC or I'll do mm -hmm. it with a saline or I'll do it with this, that, and the other. They were doing it because it reduced the chances of medical malpractice. That way, and you got better body parts to sell. But well, and I would argue, too, that for somebody who's willing to kill an unborn life, do you really think that they're caring about whether or not that's been made illegal or not? There is out there somebody right now who's doing a partial birth abortion. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. They're doing abortions where the baby comes out alive and then killing the baby outside the womb. Yeah. We've got a video of them. Mm -hmm. You can go YouTube and watch our video, Babies Born Alive Daily. Mm -hmm. Where three clinic workers are speaking about it. Right. This yeah. is going on right now. But the fact is that outlawing partial birth abortion would not save. It didn't even have the possibility of saving one baby. Mm -hmm. but, but the argument over partial birth abortion and the images that it created and the arguments in Congress were incredibly valuable. They did move the needle. Mm -hmm. The argument over partial birth abortion moved the needle toward the pro-life position. And then exposed the pro-choice lie because the abortion industry was trying to come out and saying, oh, well, this is not even a thing. And then it turns out, oh, well, it is a thing, but it's just a rare thing. Right. Well, until Ron Fitzsimmons, the head of the National Coalition of Abortion Providers, came out and said, look, we've been lying, saying there's only 15 or 16 of these done a year in the, in the country. He said, I can tell you clinics have done 5,000 of them. And imagine how many people, even on their that. own side, heard that and said, wait a minute. Right, yeah. So it does move the needle, and we can't discount mm -hmm. the value of that. Yeah. And what I don't want to see happen is, let's say that um, Roe's been overturned, and, and just using a state, just grab Arizona as an example. Mm-hmm. And they've got a bill there that's what they think they can do. It's mm -hmm. not a hardcore pro-life state like yeah. Alabama or Louisiana or Texas or somewhere like that. So they think this is all we can do. Mm -hmm. And then the other side, the so-called purist, mm -hmm. come out and demonize all the people that are supporting that legislation. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this time and time again. And both sides demonize the other one. Mm -hmm. And what happens in the legislative process when you do that is... These legislators that are nervous about voting on abortion to begin with, 
get scared into doing it again. They look at that and they say, to hell with it. I'm not going to get involved in this. This is a quagmire mm -hmm. right here. This is quicksand. From a PR perspective, too, it looks bad for the pro-life movement in general. Because imagine you're a person who's out there. And then you see the people who are supposed to be pro-life out there shooting down a bill, a pro-life bill. What do you think the public's going to take away from that? Or not only shooting it down, but just demonizing the people on their own side. Yeah. And we all get caught up on this. And people say, well, why does this happen so much in the pro-life movement? Well, first off, let me tell you, as the group that has infiltrated the abortion industry more than any other one in the United States, I can tell you that there is massive infighting. Every on, political movement, yeah, sociopolitical the movement, has, has their infighting. There are pro-abort organizations and individuals who go far beyond anything that you see in the pro-life I mean, they hate the guts of other people on their side. Mm -hmm. They hate them. But they are smart enough not to air their dirty underwear in public, whereas we're not. We'll fight these things out on national television. And that destroys the pro-life effort. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm bringing this up right now is in the very near future, we may be having this environment where these bills are going to be out there. If the pro-aborts beat them, then the pro-aborts beat them. But I don't want to see the pro-lifers beat them. And I have seen this so many times. We have had... We had that situation in Iowa one time. We had that situation in Louisiana. A guy named Woody Jenkins was the state representative down there that was pushing that bill. We had good, hardcore pro-life people down there pushing that bill. But because of infighting that took place mm -hmm. between a couple of pro-life leaders, they all walked away. It got thrown out. We cannot afford for that to happen again. We, mm -hmm. we cannot go down that trail. And I'm convinced that sometimes... The pro-aborts create these problems for us. They know we'll take the bait. So we just got to be a little more strategic about this. Not be our own worst enemies. But I want everybody that's out there that's listening to this, and I know I'll get some negative calls from some of these people. Oh, you can take it. <laughs> I can, I've had them before. They say, isn't your goal, and don't you want to see personhood for the unborn child? Absolutely, positively, 100%. Mm -hmm. It has always been my position. Go read the statement of position on our website from Life Dynamics, and you'll see we don't advocate one single exemption. Well, I don't want there right to be hurricanes right. and tornadoes and, and hail. I'm all against that, but it doesn't change the reality that that stuff is going to be around we, and happen. We have to live and operate in the world that exists, not the one we think should exist. Exactly. And if the world existed as we think it should, we wouldn't be having this debate to start with. There yeah. never been we one be single baby here. killed. Yeah. But we've got to recognize the distinction between advocating a position and supporting a position. Especially if you say, well, I will support that position reluctantly. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fine. Support it reluctantly. Matter of fact, if it's got exceptions, that's the way you should support it is reluctantly. Mm -hmm. But the second that this thing gets signed into law, whenever the governor of that state signs it, it takes over, we go back to work. Mm -hmm. And we go after the next one. And... We often make these analogies to the battle over slavery. And it actually went on for longer than the battle over abortions had gone on. Oh, yeah. Much longer. Now, I don't think there was as much political activity because it occurred at a time when you didn't have telephones and televisions and Internet. It took and you a week to get a letter to somebody. Right. Yeah. And people make this analogy to the battle over slavery. And I'll say, be very careful about making that analogy. Oh, yeah. Slavery didn't end through incremental legislation or pure legislation. It ended through passing 13th and 14th Amendment mm -hmm. after yeah. a civil war that killed 700,000 people. 
a war which was insanely it, bloody. It's the bloodiest war in American history. Mm -hmm. Almost twice as many Americans were killed in the Civil War as were killed in World War II. Yeah. The Civil War was, if you've never read about it, I mean, it was horrific. Yeah. Don't come to me and make this analogy between slavery and abortion and the political process mm -hmm. unless you're willing to fire on Fort Sumter because that's what started the end of slavery. And we're not willing to do that, nor should we be. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that the analogy breaks down right there. And again, if you don't think that the issue of, of having uh, incremental legislation is valuable, then you don't think the 3,000 babies that aren't being killed today that would have been killed on this day in 1992, you don't think those babies have any value. Yeah. And I adamantly disagree with you on that. Anyway, that's all the time we have. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get a lot of blowback on this show, but that's okay. We had to get it out there. Mm -hmm. If you have a show suggestion, if you have a topic that you want to hear us discuss, we love taking your suggestions and hearing from you guys. I'll have a link in the description, but you can go to lifedynamics.com forward slash podcast. There's a form right there on the page. It goes to us. We see it. Just leave your suggestions. We're more than happy to talk about them. Absolutely. This show was a result of a listener writing in and wanting to know our, how we felt about this particular issue. Yep. So, yeah, we would love to hear from you. And please get your friends to listen to the show. We're bringing a lot of stuff to the fore here on this podcast mm -hmm. that other people aren't talking about. And yeah. That, and especially a, a subject like this. A lot of people avoid this subject because they know it's so volatile. Yeah. But these things need to get said. Truth hurts, right? Anyway, till next Thursday, remember... Life Dynamics is not here to put up a good fight. We're here to win. Because winning is how the killing stops. That's right. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.